You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Well, good morning, Citizens Church. Uh, It is a joy to be with you today, uh, limited as it is, at least for my end. But, uh, you know, when Jamin first asked me to come and to serve you many months ago now, I was so eager uh, to be with you again, to be with your congregation the last time that I had the privilege of being among you was at the commissioning service when you were transitioning and even celebrating going from being a campus of the Village Church to becoming a local church and being sent out to do so in a unique way. And your faith and your hope and your love uh, greatly encouraged me uh, at that service. And uh, so I was eager to be back with you. And, 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 and you know, uh, I'm still grateful to be here, even though I'm not among you in the way that I had hoped or envisioned. And, uh, and I bring greetings from your brothers and sisters uh, of the Village Church Denton and uh, speaking with Jamin even last week. I, I know that he and your leaders here at the church um, feel the same way that I have about my own congregation during this time. Jamin just gushed over about God's faithfulness in and through you and how uh, how joyful it is to be a, a pastor of this church and especially during a season like this and in so many ways just what God has been leading your church through from my limited perspective pastorally over the many years as you were a campus and then even in the midst of the transition, the hardship, the delight of transitioning from a campus to a church, he has prepared you in such unique ways. There is a faithful church that's called Citizens Here that was as prepared as any local church in this city for these days. And uh, so I just thank God for you. And uh, today we're going we're gonna to take a break from your uh, sermon series on Colossians. And we're going to, uh, I just hope to remind you and encourage you about the hope of the resurrection that we have as Christians. I know Uh, Last Sunday, you were in Colossians and the verses that talk about, if I'm not mistaken, that if then you've been raised with Christ, spiritually and metaphorically speaking, put on Christ. And so today, I want to remind you that you will one day be raised with Christ literally, physically. You'll be raised with him, and there is great hope there. And so if you're looking here in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to be in verses 12 to 19, and uh, before we uh, look in on those verses, you know, years ago, I, I read about, I remember reading about this archbishop from Australia who was being interviewed on television, and at one point, uh, the reporter asked him, he said to him, what would it do to your faith if the bones of Jesus were found? If somewhere in Jerusalem or outside of Jerusalem, somebody found the bones of Jesus, they knew that it was the bones of Jesus, and thus it proved that the resurrection of Jesus never really happened. That's what the reporter asked the archbishop, and the archbishop answered, it wouldn't do anything at all to my faith. Jesus has risen in my heart, and that's what really matters. Well, that answer that the archbishop gave is actually the exact opposite of the declaration that the apostle Paul makes here to the Corinthians in this part of the letter that you've just Read. Paul says to the Corinthians, if Jesus has not been raised in the body from the dead, we Christians are of all people most to be pitied. And there's never been a more forceful statement about how foundational the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is for Christian hope than what Paul says here. And yet, what we want to think about together today is why? Why is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus so central, so foundational to our hope as Christians? Why does it matter so much 
if we find Jesus' bones somewhere. And so as we, as we move through the passage today, um, really sort of three sections if you like to take notes. Number one, we want to think about in verse 12 the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus. Two, in verses 13 to 18, we want to think about the foundation of the resurrection. And then three, in verse 19, we want to think about the hope of the resurrection. So the centrality of the resurrection, the foundation of the resurrection, and the hope of the resurrection. Starting here in verse 12 with the centrality of the resurrection, Paul says to this church, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You know, sadly, many Christians have never been invited or compelled to think through the significance of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, what it means, why it really matters for us as Christians, for our own resurrection, why it matters. And uh, obviously, you know, in saying that, most Christians acknowledge they affirm the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. There's not a Christian that I know that would say, yeah, uh, Easter doesn't really matter. Uh, if for no other reason that they know just from tradition that Easter is the central day, it's the heart of the Christian calendar. And from the beginning of the church, Christians have always gathered for worship, like you're doing right now, on Sunday. From the inception of the church, uh, you know, not just Easter Sunday, but every Sunday has been a remembrance and a celebration of the events of Easter, which is quite telling because even though Sunday was a work day in the ancient world, right, Christians gathered every Sunday morning before they went to work. And they did so because it was Sunday. They didn't gather on Sunday because, like for us, it was the weekend. They gathered on Sunday because that was the day that the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead. And they understood as Christians who had given their allegiance to Jesus as Lord that their whole lives had been redeemed and rearranged and reoriented around Sunday, around Jesus's resurrection. So Sunday, and the resurrection of our Lord that it represents, it's always been acknowledged, it's always been affirmed by Christians as central to Christianity, as it still is for Christians today. And yet, when you lean in and you ask the question of many Christians, why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? Why does it matter that Jesus was raised bodily? There's often uncertainty, a lack of clarity or even conviction in the answers that you receive. Christians are convinced that it is, but they're not sure or they can't articulate why exactly. And, you know, perhaps nowhere is this lack of clarity or conviction about the resurrection more exposed in the church than in how little most Christians have thought about or connected the resurrection of Jesus to their own resurrection from the dead. And so a, a, a sort of telltale sign of the lack of depth in most Christians' understanding of the significance of the resurrection of Jesus is that when most Christians, maybe we could say at least in the West, maybe even Bible Belt culture, most Christians, when they think about life after death, they think of heaven, not resurrection. They think of a spiritual, not a bodily afterlife in eternity with God. And certainly, part of the reason most Christians think about this is because heaven is real. And all who die in Christ before he returns will join him in that spiritual paradise that the Bible describes and even calls heaven. But heaven is not our final destination as Christians. Biblically speaking, it's not, as has become so popular culturally within Christendom to say, heaven is not our home. As one theologian put it, rather, there's a life after, life after death that we call heaven that is our final desti destination as Christians. There's an eternal life that includes 
our resurrected bodies, not just our souls. And church, this biblical vision and hope of life after life after death is precisely why, or at least one of the foundational reasons, why the resurrection of Jesus is so important and why it's so telling that when so many Christians think about life after death, they think only of heaven and not of resurrection because what that sort of reveals deep down is what a truly low view of the body and even of creation that we've inherited. What a low view of the resurrection of Jesus and the rest of creation that we've inherited, which is exactly the problem that Paul is addressing in this church here in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. Some Christians in the church in Corinth, those that have heard and they've believed the message about Jesus' bodily resurrection that Paul proclaimed to them, which he describes in verses 1 to 11, they're saying that there won't or there can't possibly be a bodily resurrection of Christians who have died. So, so apparently there's this small group of Christians in the church that are stuck, like many Christians today, with a vision for life after death that is spiritual and not physical, and it's actually led some of these Christians in the church of Corinth to deny the resurrection of the dead. They're saying there is no resurrection of the dead. And to this group, Paul says here in verse 12, how can some of you, how in the world can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If, if, if there's no resurrection of our bodies and of God's entire creation, then, then what is our hope? Because the resurrection of our bodies and of God's entire creation is the entire orientation of our hope as Christians. Our entire hope as Christians is centered on an eternal life with God in his creation where our bodies and our souls, along with heaven and earth, have been healed and brought back together. Our entire hope is centered on resurrection. And if resurrection isn't going to happen, if God isn't going to or can't raise the dead, then our hope that we have as Christians is pitiable because it's fake. It's unfounded. Because it means that not just that we won't be raised from the dead and creation along with us one day, but it means that then the Lord Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead either, which is our second point here, the foundation of the resurrection. Not only is the resurrection of Jesus central, it's foundational. In verses 13 to 18, Paul talks about this. The Lord Jesus' resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday, it is the foundation for our resurrection from the dead and from the renewal of all of creation. The foundation of our hope for resurrection and eternal life is Jesus' resurrection. And Paul reminds the church there in Corinth of this in verse 13. He says to them, if you're looking in your Bible, he says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. That's not encouraging. So, so in other words, what Paul's doing here pastorally is he's inviting these that are denying the resurrection to follow the logic of their vision and hope for life after death to follow the logic of their denial of bodily resurrection. And he says to them, if it is true, as you say, that God won't or can't raise a dead body, then that means that not even Christ's body has been raised. And obviously, in verses 1 through 11, Paul has just re-proclaimed to this church the sure fact that Christ was raised from the dead, that all the apostles, as well as hundreds and hundreds of other eyewitnesses, saw him, saw the risen Lord. And, and, of course, the Corinthians believed. They received the testimony of that gospel. And so Paul is pointing out, you can't have it both ways. 
He's saying you can't affirm the testimony of Jesus' resurrection and simultaneously that the dead aren't raised. If the dead aren't raised, then not even the Lord Jesus himself has been raised. Now, I don't know when the last time maybe you said something uh, quite confidently uh, without understanding the implications of, uh, of what you were saying. You know, it, it can be quite stunning and, and disorienting when someone, when you say something and then someone points out the implications of what you're saying that you haven't thought of. And uh, in fact, years ago, I, I was talking with a group of pastors that included my wife's favorite pastor and one of her favorite people on earth, a pastor named Steve Harden. Uh, some of you know Steve, uh, Michael Bleeker, who's right here, he knows Steve. Uh, and so I was talking to a group of pastors and what we were talking about were, were these birthdays um, and birthdays that would or would not be good to have. And, and someone mentioned 9-11 and, uh, and Steve said humorously, and he's like, oh man, can you imagine if your birthday was, uh, was, was 9-11? That would be terrible. And uh, what an awful birthday. And so I let him talk for about 15 seconds. And, uh, and then I said, hey, Steve, uh, 9-11 is Haddon, my oldest son, it's Haddon's birthday. <laughs> and Steve, recognizing the implications of what he was saying, immediately said, oh, but it's redeemable, bro. It's redeemable. And he tried to sort of reel in what he had said. And, uh, and you know, that, that's the immediate sense you would think that those in Corinth, as well as any today who would question or minorize the resurrection of the body, would feel in response to what Paul said there. You don't believe in the resurrection of the dead? Let me help you understand the implications of what you're saying. That means that Christ isn't raised then. And then Paul takes it a step further and he tells these Christians what happens if that domino falls. If the domino of Christ's resurrection is sort of tipped over, maybe some of you, even during the stay-at-home order, have done this. You've set up dominoes around your house and you've seen how many you can knock over. I used to do that as a kid. Maybe you should get back into it. But, but he says, if you knock the domino of Christ's resurrection over, if that's not true, Paul says there's, there's, there's other dominoes one by one that fall if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. And he gives four implications, four other dominoes that tip over if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. And those four are emptiness, misrepresentation, sin, and death. Emptiness, misrepresentation, sin, and death. And the first implication there in verse 14 is emptiness. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, my preaching right now, is in vain. The, the word literally is it's empty. And your faith right now is in vain. It's, it's empty. So, so firstly, Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ is not raised from the dead, which means that everything that I and the rest of the apostles proclaim to you is not true. It's empty. It has no foundation to it, which means that all of our ministry is in vain and all of your faith, all of your allegiance to the Lord Jesus, all of your worship, all of your songs, all of your good works, all of your endurance, all of your denying yourself to follow Jesus and be like him, all of it is empty. It's in vain because he's not really the Christ. So that's the first thing is emptiness. The second implication, Paul says in verse 15, is misrepresentation. He says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. And, and I think what Paul says here is really important for us to sort of slow down and think about because I think it's probably one of the four that we are most prone to just skip over or not understand. And I want to say this, brothers and sisters, as Christians, we don't believe Jesus is the Christ and that, and, and, and that he was raised from the dead. That's not all we believe. 
that Jesus is the Christ and that he was raised from the dead. Certainly we believe that, but we believe Jesus is the Christ because he was raised from the dead. And that's different. In raising Jesus from the dead, we Christians believe that God has spoken his final judgment over Jesus' life and ministry, a judgment that has clearly reversed the verdict of the earthly courtroom which found Jesus guilty of blasphemy and sentenced him to death. The earthly court declared Jesus guilty of making false claims about being the Christ and the Son of God, and therefore his resurrection, God raising him from the dead, is God's public justification and vindication of Jesus' true identity. And it's really important for us as Christians to grasp hold of this. It's, it's only the resurrection that makes the crucifixion of Jesus and all of the things that Jesus taught and said about himself more than just another failed attempt at a would-be revolutionary, a would-be Christ in Jerusalem. Jesus' resurrection is what makes Jesus more than just a would-be Christ. What makes Jesus different than all the other would-be Christ who came to Jerusalem before him and were executed like him, and some of them just like him by crucifixion. They said they were the Christ and they were publicly crucified. What makes Jesus different, and this is the declaration of the gospel, the good news we proclaim, is that we know Jesus and not Caesar or anyone else is the Christ, that he's the world's true Lord and true King, because God declared him so publicly by raising him from the dead. And so Paul says, listen, if Jesus wasn't truly raised from the dead, we are putting words in God's mouth about Jesus that are not true. We are misrepresenting God in the gospel we proclaim. We are bearing false testimony about him and what he's done through Christ. And that's a big deal. Blasphemy is a big deal. Got Jesus crucified. The third implication, the third sort of domino that falls if Christ has not been raised from the dead is in verse 17 and it's sin. Paul says it this way. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And here again, I think is something that many Christians have never grasped about the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is not only God's public declaration that Jesus is the Christ, it's also God's public declaration that in and through this Christ, our sins have been forgiven. Because you see, death is the ultimate penalty for mankind's sin against God. In, in one of his other letters, Paul, Paul put it this way, he said, the wages of sin is death. And so death is the most bitter fruit that the root of sin brings about in all of our lives because of our ancestry of sin, because of our own sin, we all die in the body. And therefore, God taking Jesus through and raising him from death declares that Jesus has not only defeated death, but that he has triumphed over sin, which is what has caused death to begin with. Jesus' resurrection shows us that God has not only taken care of the bitter fruit of sin in our lives, but that he's taken care of the root of sin as well. And so, brothers and sisters, again, we're not forgiven of our sins just because Jesus died and was crucified on Good Friday. Again, lots of people have died sacrificially for others in this world. Lots have even been crucified sacrificially for others. But none of those sacrifices, heroic as they may have been, 
ever liberated anyone from their slavery to the power and penalty of sin. Only Jesus' death has done that. And the way that we know Jesus' sacrifice, the way that we know his crucifixion, that his death did this in our place, is because God raised him from the dead. And so echoing all of the other prophecies of Scripture, Jesus told his followers, listen, I'm going to die in order to set you free from Satan and sin and death, and his resurrection is the way, and really it is the only way that we know as Christians that it did just that, that his death accomplished the very thing that he said he would. When God raised Jesus out from underneath judgment and penalty of sin on that Sunday morning, this happened. And again, this is why Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised from death, we're still in our sins, which means that our hope in life beyond death is unfounded as well, which is the last implication, the last domino that Paul articulates here in verse 18 is death. He says in verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, which brings us all the way back around to the conversation about life after death and life after life after death and our own resurrection. Paul says if Christ is not raised and we're still in our sins, then that means that we are still enslaved to death as well. And he says what this means is that once we die, we just perish. That those who have already died have simply perished. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ, he clarifies. This is for those that are in Christ. They've died in Christ, but they've simply entered the same fate as everyone else, the same fate of those who have not given their allegiance to Christ. They've entered into the same fate as a Christ who wasn't raised. Death simply ushers them and us into the abyss and the realm of the dead where everyone sleeps and goes forever, which means that without the resurrection, death's stinger still spears those of us that are in Christ eternally. Because again, we're still in our sins and therefore we will not inherit the kingdom of God, as he said in chapter six of 1 Corinthians. And so, brothers and sisters, I just want us to say la here for a moment. This is pretty remarkable that Paul says this because what it means is that if there's no resurrection of the dead, then there's no heaven either. Which again, helps us see how central and foundational resurrection and particularly the resurrection of Christ is to Christian hope. This is why it matters if they dig up Jesus' bones somewhere. In Paul's theology, the temporary paradise of heaven is actually dependent upon the reality of the resurrection. No resurrection, no life after death, and certainly no life after life after death. And so Paul's instruction to these Christians in Corinth struggling to believe in the resurrection of the dead, it couldn't be more clear. He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if the Lord Christ has not been raised, then every assurance we have that is built upon that gospel collapses into a heap of broken dreams. And it takes us, those of us who have sworn our allegiance to him and who follow him, it takes us as Christian from Sunday to Saturday to the day before Easter when the disciples of Jesus were grieving their shattered dreams of Jesus not being their Christ. Without the resurrection, we Christians are not Sunday people. We are Saturday people. And I don't assume that that's what these members of the church here in Corinth were thinking when they were saying there's no resurrection of the dead any more than I assume Steve knew that my son's birthday was 9-11 when he said that about 9-11. 
But what Paul has made clear here is that this is what they are denying. This is what denying our resurrection, the resurrection of the dead, amounts to, to Good Friday without Easter Sunday. But praise God, our faith isn't oriented around Saturday. It's oriented around, it's based upon Sunday. Oh, we still experience the grief of Saturday in this world. We still have moments and seasons of suffering and disappointment and brokenness in this wilderness, but the hope of Sunday has the final word for us Christians. Resurrection has the final word for us, and it reminds us that just as that Saturday, just as you know he was that Saturday, just as Jesus' own body was lying in the grave and God was working in his world and through his life, so too with us, even in our suffering, even in our grief, even in our trauma, even in our loss and our confusion and our anger, even when we don't understand what's happening and what God is doing, because of Sunday, we trust he's working for our good, even when we can't see it, and perhaps especially when we can't see it. And some of us need to remember and put our trust in that that God, our God afresh this morning. But church, that's true. We can trust God's heart even when we can't trace his hand. That's true because of Sunday. Because God raised our Lord and Christ from the dead. And Paul says, this, O people of God, is why the resurrection is so important, because it is the foundation of our hope which leads us to the last point this morning, the hope of resurrection, here in verse 19. Paul ends his instruction in this little portion of the Corinthians who are questioning the resurrection of the dead by saying, by asserting actually, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we as Christians, right now, this Sunday, are of all people most to be pitied. And, uh, and though that may not seem encouraging on the surface to you, perhaps. This is actually one of my life verses, which maybe that says something about me, I don't know. But, but this verse and the one surrounding it, it's the verse that I go to personally when I begin to doubt whether or not what I believe and proclaim about Jesus is true. I, I can't tell, tell you how many times, even these last couple of months during the coronavirus, that my mind has drifted to this verse, or how many times it's drifted to this verse over the last 20 years of being a Christian. Um, but over and over again, when I begin to doubt, when my faith begins to waver, when my allegiance begins to be questioned or even condemned by my own thoughts, I go here. Because, friends, what Paul does here is he pushes all of his chips into Christianity based on the resurrection of Jesus. And he teaches us by his own example and instruction to do the same. And I love that Paul acknowledges what he acknowledges here. He acknowledges, listen, if God doesn't raise the dead which means that he didn't raise Christ, which means that our faith and ministry is empty and wrong and we're still in our sins and destined to perish and without life after death, then we Christians were of all people most to be pitied. And I wonder, do you feel that way? That if you found out today that they had dug up Jesus' bones somewhere in Jerusalem, that we are, that you are, of all people that you know most to be pitied because the entire hope that your life is hanging upon is a resurrection that you found out did not really happen. I actually once had a pastor tell me, 
He said, you know, if, if this wasn't true, speaking of Christianity, he said, if this wasn't true, I'd still practice the principles because they work. Uh, more recently, I actually was having a conversation with a dear neighbor of mine, a friend of ours that we've been sharing the gospel with about whether they believe Jesus is truly, is, truly is Lord. And we were in our kitchen and she told me, she said, I, I don't know, but, but some days I do, some days I don't. She said, I, I don't know, but I do think that going to church and raising my children in a Christian way is still a good thing regardless. And I think it, it surprised her when I said there in my kitchen, I disagree. I don't think it's good at all. Because if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, if he isn't Lord, then the whole thing is empty. It's, it's a hoax. It's a fairy tale, and it's quite evil, actually. It's evil that Jesus would lie about his identity and instruct and ask people to devote and follow him unto death based upon those lies. I told her, that's not the kind of thing that's good for you to devote yourself to or raise your kids into if it's not true. It's either true or it's bad, pitiable, as Paul put it here. And so, contrary to what the archbishop in Australia said, whether or not Jesus has risen in our hearts is not what matters most, friends. What matters most, Paul says to us, is whether or not he has truly risen. He's truly been raised bodily from the dead. The resurrection of the dead, beginning with the resurrection of Christ, is the foundation for our hope as Christians. For our hope, as Paul puts it, in this life and for our hope beyond this life. For life after death and life after life after death that we're looking forward to. If in this life, church, we only have hope because Jesus is still dead, we are of all people most to be pitied. But verse 20 there, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And that means that this morning, right now, with your screaming and squirming children or whatever else is going on in the headlines of your life and the headlines of our world, this means that right now, those of us who are in Christ have a hope that is not empty, but full. We have a hope that is not misrepresentative of, but in full accord with God. We have a hope that means we are not still in our sins, but we are forgiven and released from them. We have a hope that tells us we are no longer enslaved to or destined for death, but life, and an eternal life and hope that begins now and that leads and lasts beyond the grave. And all of this hope is ours in life and in death because Christ our Lord has been raised, the first fruits of a whole harvest of salvation that we who are in Christ will be a part of. Amen? Hallelujah. So, Father, we thank you for this hope, and I pray that in the coming days and weeks, especially as Citizens Church is scattered, even as I pray for my own church, Lord, that you would Keep us anchored on this certain hope. We thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead. And as those who have been spiritually and metaphorically raised with him, we pray you'd help us to follow him. And all the while do so with one foot raised, living toward our hope that one day you will raise us literally and physically like him as well. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.